Well, good morning. I'm Jonathan. I'm uh, the community and discipleship pastor here, and I'm so glad that uh, you're here with us this morning. And if you're visiting family from out of town for Thanksgiving, we're so glad to have you uh, with us. Um, I, do you guys, isn't it crazy, those suits that Pastor John can find? It's just out, outrageous. Um, anyway, we are in the... Uh, going to be in the first week of a new series. We've been in Genesis, all fall, deep dive, but we're going to be in Advent, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew. And we're not going to do that just for December. We're going to come back to Matthew a number of times over the next year or maybe even beyond. So, but before we jump into the text this morning is way of introduction, I uh, have a little quiz for you. I'm going to put three pictures up here on the screen. We got George W. Bush, we got Winston Churchill, and we got Princess Diana. Now, what do these people all have in common? You might be thinking, okay, uh, world leaders, 20th century figures. Well, in fact, they are all related to a guy named Henry Spencer. They've done genealogical research to bring back to this guy back in the 1400s. He lived in this place called Northamptonshire, which I'm sure they say something more like Northamptonshire. Um, but it just, this kind of word always reminds me as a kid, I used to say Worcestershire sauce. And yeah, that's, that's not right. But anyway, when I saw this, I'm going, wow, that's pretty fascinating. And it took me back a few years ago where um, I had, uh, our family had visited the hometown of one of our best friends, Mindy. Uh, the town was Pella, Iowa. And it was during this time called Tulip Festival, Tulip Time. And, um, and it was this, it's a Dutch town and all this great, amazing stuff happening. But to be honest, I was thinking to myself, I'm, I'm not Dutch. I'm mostly German, Norwegian. I'm not really paying attention to all the historical cool things and all of that. And then when I uh, returned back to the cities, um, I went over to my parents' house and we were talking about being at this. They said, well, did you learn any amazing, interesting things? I'm like, well... I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. I mean, there's some wooden shoes and stuff like that. And, they're, and because I, I go, we're, we're mostly German. And my dad looks at me and goes, what? No, we're Dutch. And I go, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it was just a face palm like this thinking, oh my goodness. And this was only a few years ago. This wasn't like ages ago. <laughs> so, but th this this leads me to where we're going today. Um, we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus because when I missed the reality of being Dutch, I missed out on seeing what might have been quite interesting and helpful, understanding. And when we look at Jesus' genealogy, we might too easily miss it because when we miss the story, when we miss the rich history that's telling a compelling story that God is writing, we might also miss our part in that story. And so what is this genealogy that we're looking at today? And understanding that will help us see hope and purpose for our everyday life. Especially during this Christmas season where, you know, life can feel so busy and maybe you're living in two worlds. Here's my Christmassy Christian world and then the harsh reality of my real life. 
Or is that meant to be one integrated story? But that's why you hear our preaching team every week say the Bible doesn't need to be a mystery. And so we open it together every time we gather. And so uh, I do want to invite you to open your Bibles. Um, if you don't have one with you, they're in the seat racks in front of you. On, uh, we're going to be on page 965. We're in Matthew starting in chapter 1, verse 1, all the way at the beginning. And so we're going to be looking pretty carefully um, at what Matthew is intending to communicate with these opening words. Remember, this is how he chooses to open his gospel. He's helping us to lean in to something. But before we read the text, I invite you to pray with me as we ask God to illuminate his word to us. Oh Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path you set before us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the text, um, starting in verse 1, and be looking for some things that maybe stand out to you, some things that stand out to you. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers stand out. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Another standout. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. It says King David here. There's a bunch of other kings in this genealogy. It's the only time the king title is given. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Another standout. Okay, and then it's going to take us from David down to the exile in 11. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And then in verse 12, starting with Jeconiah again, bring you all the way down to verse 16. And it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. If you want a little extra credit assignment, you can look at that 14 and what's the meaning of that? I'm not going to get into that today. I'll give you a clue. It has to do with the name of David. Name of David. But you can probably also guess why I didn't ask for a scripture reader on screen to read this week. Uh, I mean, I didn't want to put anyone through that pronunciation anxiety. Even I have that as a preacher. And, uh, but when we look at this, I didn't even read the whole thing, but it looks just like a big list. And, but this isn't just a list of historical dead people. I, I mean, it is that, but this genealogy is much, much more than that. I, I, actually, if you didn't get goosebumps while I read it, you actually didn't hear it like the first century listener. Why do I say that? Well, what Matthew's trying to do here 
is he's trying to give you the history. He's trying to give you some hype about what is about to happen. And to give you a little flavor of like what he's trying to do, I'm gonna show you just a little short modern video of something that's trying to do the same thing. History and hype, let's watch that video. Who are you? I'm no one. Someone came up to me last night and said, you're gonna pay for that dark side comment. <laughs> and I'm like, this is just a video. And, um, and others are going, oh my goodness, uh, what, what are we just watching here? Because it, here's the thing, the more knowledgeable you are of the people in this video, from Cunningham to Carter, Moss, AP, etc., and, and possibly the Star Wars pieces as well, like two loves coming together for me, um, the more epic and goosebump filled that video is. But for those of you who didn't and you're a little confused and like you just wasted two minutes of my life um, <laughs> and zoned out because it was football and Star Wars, it's actually helpful because I think that's how we can be with genealogies. That we, and we cannot do that with this genealogy. Listen, the, the more that you know the story, the more the goosebumps come. This is the first page of Matthew. This is what he is leading with. Remember, John leads with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you're like, oh, wow, that's epic. Matthew's doing the same thing. And you got to think of it this way. The church history, they put the canon together, the New Testament. What did they put as the first page of the New Testament? This. So if we aren't seeing the outrageously amazing start to the New Testament, we're probably missing the information. So let's look at it more closely. 
verse 1. This is the genealogy, the origin, the genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. What's being said here? This starting verse, verse 1, is like a, a thesis statement for the rest of the passage and really the whole rest of the book of Matthew. Matthew is using this genealogy as an announcement. This genealogy is an announcement. And no, I don't mean like a church bulletin announcement. I mean like a king's parade into town from victorious battle level announcement. He's pulling out this obvious prophetic promise that the first century listeners would be hearing when they say he's in the line of David. He's making you think of second Samuel. He's saying this whole thing's been about Jesus. He's Christ. He's anointed one. He's king, son of David. Remember the one whose offspring would produce a kingdom that would go forever? I mean, let's look at the second Samuel passage. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Matthew is saying the forever kingdom king is here. It's Jesus. And I think we have to kind of get ourselves in that first century thinker mindset to even understand how subversive this would seem and how risky this kind of announcement is. I mean, most Jewish readers are living in the Roman kingdom. Romans exert power to establish authority, and in many cases, a sense of divinity. So for someone to be writing and spreading word that there's a king above all kings in a kingdom that's going to go forever, this is no laughing matter for those Roman leaders. The rebellion must be squashed. And we see that. Christians are being put under tremendous pressure and persecution. I mean, this announcement absolutely is dangerous. Well, you're thinking, well, it's not so dangerous for us now. Why is it a big deal to us now? Well, for where we live, not as much. Other parts of our world, very much so. A king and a kingdom. But here, here's how we should think about this. We, if King Jesus is not shaping our lives, every compartment, every nook and cranny, we're missing out on the kingdom. I know that sounds idealistic. Absolutely it is. But Jesus came to turn things upside down. And we're not meant to keep lordship of some areas of our life and not others. Matthew is saying he is the authoritative forever kingdom king. And if you're like, you really saying all that with son of David? I mean, let's just look at the, how Matthew ends the book just to see that this is what he's saying the whole time. In Matthew 28, he says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've been a Christian a long time. I've heard that verse so many times, but I think sometimes we have to soak in a verse. I mean, all authority on heaven and on earth is given to him, all of it. He's worth to be given all of ourselves. See, the idea that the genealogy is an announcement helps us remember that the gospel is the announcement that Jesus is king, is redeeming all things, and has all authority. Why is this 
good news. Well, I love how James Bryan Smith, author and uh, pastor, answers that question. He says, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. The thing is, we respond to this, the unshakable kingdom of God and a forever king. Our life is a response to this announcement. Our life is a response to the good news, not a list of moral to-dos. Or as Tim Keller would say, the gospel is not good advice, it's good news. What is the genealogy? The genealogy is an announcement. It's an announcement that the kingdom is here and Jesus is king. And second, the genealogy is a fulfillment. It's a fulfillment. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message paraphrase, pens these words as way of introduction to the book of Matthew. He says, Matthew opens the New Testament by setting the local story of Jesus in its world historical context. He makes sure that as we read his account of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see the connections with everything that has gone before. Fulfilled is one of Matthew's characteristic verbs. Such and such happened that it might be fulfilled. Fulfill and fulfilled happens the most in the book of Matthew than any other book. And actually kingdom, when we, the word we we're just looking at, happens more in Matthew than any other book as well. So we should be leaning in to these concepts. So to understand Matthew's gospel, we have to see it as a fulfillment. We have to look back at this first verse thesis again, the next part of it. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Son of Abraham. It's announcing the king of the kingdom, as we just saw in the Davidic promise, but it's also announcing the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, primarily in and through fulfilling this promise to Abraham that through his offspring, there'd be a blessing to all nations. He's making you think again, everything has always been about Jesus. Son of Abraham, oh yeah, remember father of Israel whose offspring would bring the blessing of all nations? I mean, just look at those texts in Genesis chapter 12. Talking to Abram, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then jump ahead to 22 here. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. I mean, all first century thinkers, uh, the Jewish listeners of this text that Matthew was speaking to, they would have heard all of this just as easily as we think Minnesota when we hear Vikings football. That's how connected it is. And they are jumping with joy or maybe completely just shocked at this type of claim. I mean, they've been waiting for hundreds of years because Matthew is testifying that the fulfillment of Abraham and the fulfillment of David is coming to this point in human history in this one person, Jesus, that God is actually going to finish what he started. It's incredible news. And God looked to bless the nation of Israel 
to be a blessing to the world. Jesus is that fulfillment to be a blessing to all nations. We're blessed to be a blessing if we follow God. Now, it kind of uh, reminds me of this blessed to be a blessing idea of what Jesus is doing of um, uh, Les Miserables or Les Mis. Um, I actually haven't watched the musical or read the book. I've only watched the 90s movie with Liam Neeson in it. But um, this main character, Jean Valjean, he goes to jail for um, stealing some food. You find this out really early in the story. And he is gotten out of jail after being in for a very long time. And he's taken in by a priest and his wife, even though he says, you shouldn't take me in. And they feed him and they let him stay overnight. And in the night, he steals all their nice silverware. And the priest comes out and catches him. And John assaults the priest, takes the stuff and leaves. Now what happens the next day, some policemen grab John and bring him back before the priest. And the, the policemen say to the priest, hey, this guy said that you gave him this stuff. The priest has a choice right here. And the priest says, that's absolutely correct. We did give him that stuff. And he looks at John and says, and you, you forgot the most important things we gave you, our most incredible and uh, expensive candlesticks. And he looks to his wife, says, go get the candlesticks. And gets them and puts them in his bag. And the policemen are just like, what? He was telling the truth? And they walk away, and then the priest looks at him and just says, no longer will you walk on this path. I've put you down a different path toward God. He had every right to bring justice to this situation and said he saw that he had been blessed by God to be a blessing, to set people on a different path. That's what we're called to do. The thing is, God has worked through the broken mess of our world and his people to this moment to be a blessing to all nations. This is the good news of the kingdom, the fulfillment of God's promises to all people, all nations, that God could have just left our broken humanity and world, but he doesn't. He looks to finish what he started. The thing is, we're not worthy of it, but he says we are worth it. And he makes us worthy. And if you're thinking, are you sure that's what Matthew is communicating with all of this, just son of Abraham, all these things? Way more than what I'm saying. Way more. But if you want to see, is that what Matthew's trying to do in the book, this all nations kind of thing, we just have to go back to where we were in Matthew chapter 28. At the end of the book, it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's what we read. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations. It's been there the whole time. That's what Matthew's trying to do from the front to the back, this whole idea of the kingdom, the fulfillment, the promise to all nations. Jesus wants the blessing of his life, death, and resurrection to bring people to himself in all nations. He wants this to be continually fulfilled. And you and I, if we aren't ethnically Jewish, we've been blessed by this blessing to all nations. We are the nations that come from this. And you and I interact with people that don't know Jesus every day, right, right where we are. And those of us that have experienced his mercy and grace, we want to see others experience that same mercy and grace. 
we have been blessed to be a blessing. The genealogy is an announcement that the Davidic forever king is here. And the genealogy is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise to bless all the nations. And the genealogy is a story. It's a story. We've talked about the idea of hyperlinking in text, that it brings you back to these other texts. And this is happening everywhere in this genealogy. Time and time and time and time. Hyperlink, 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 hyperlink. I mean, this is the story of Israel coming to its fulfillment. Jesus is the culmination of the story of Israel. It's this human history all coming to this one point, and it's a story of family and redemption. And Matthew is establishing not only in the importance of this story, but he's actually saying that this story is more important than the other. And that Jesus, the main character, is to be examined and listened to with a level of authority that no one has ever had or ever will. And I'm only going to do a little quick flyover of some of the names and the hyperlinks uh, real quick. But this list of names is meant to pull the stories right into your mind as it would in these first century Jewish listeners. I mean, it's like if I were to say to you right now, Indiana Jones, Marty McFly, Harry Potter, Frodo Baggins. You don't just hear names. You hear stories. You hear characters. You hear something a part of a bigger narrative, and that's exactly what Matthew's doing. And actually, when we look, some of the names on the list are quite shocking. Really quite shocking. And so, let's look at some of these names. And um, the ones that stick out particular, the ones I'm going to focus on today, are actually the female names. Those are the ones that stand out. You gotta think, this is first century context. You're looking at the line of kings, putting women in this kind of type of thing. That's totally not normal. You don't see that at all. But it happens in here. So, um, I'm gonna give you a quick fly. Okay, so we got Tamar in verse three. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you don't know that story, just let me give you the quick version. Tamar actually married one of Judah's sons, and then he died, and then she married the other son, and then he died. She doesn't have any kids, so she's on the outs, hoping to get that third son, but doesn't think that he's going to give it to him because, you know, Judah kind of thinks she's cursed. All her sons are dying, getting married to him. So she dresses up like a prostitute, gets Judah to buy with the purchasing of a staff and a, a ring and a you know, kind of symbol, and, and she gets pregnant. Comes back, says to Judah, hey, I'm pregnant. Now he goes, you're out of the family. And she goes, well, the father is the owner of this stuff. <laughs> oh, now he's in trouble. <laughs> but see how crazy that story is? And that's in, that's in the genealogy of Jesus, this really weird, interesting story. But then you jump down and we have... Uh, Rahab and, and five, Sal Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And if you don't remember Rahab, she's the big time prostitute in Jericho. I mean, she's got land, she's a big deal, and she's on the path of destruction with the rest of Jericho. But she's saved. Her life goes a different direction. And then we have Ruth, 
which we won't get into that story, but this interesting story of uncovering the feet with Boaz and other stuff. Um, we don't need to look at that. But we'll come back to why she's in here. And then you got uh, David was the mother of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba's not even mentioned here, but it's, it's bringing up all these things. Remember, David, one of his good buddies, mighty men, generals who lives close to the castle, he's away and he's with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then they have Solomon. This is in the line. And then he kills Uriah. And you're thinking of all these things. They would be thinking all of this and going, what is happening here? And then the final one is Mary, which you don't really see how shocking that would have been until next week. A little teaser for you. Um, but here's the thing with Uriah, Ruth, Rahab, and Tamar. Why are they in here? There's a lot of different reasons. But one of them is that you can make a case for all four of them, Gentiles. They're not in Israel. This blessing to all nations is highlighted in the women that are right here that God is wanting to be a blessing to all nations and include them. See, they're not mentioned in here to honor Jesus. Jesus is mentioned with their names for him to honor them. That he says, I claim them. They're part of my family. The thing is, they're included no matter what nation. Sexual brokenness. God sees you and loves you and wants to redeem you. It's like uh, Corey Ten Boom, the concentration camp survivor and helper of Jewish people. Um, she says that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. See, the genealogy communicates that the story of Jesus the Messiah is about family and about redemption, that God is working in and through the real stuff of life. If you've ever wondered, can God work through the yuckiness in my background, the ugliness in my background, the sinfulness in my background, you don't have to look any further than the genealogy, that God can do amazing things in and through you and wants to. That this story of Jesus is actually the story, the one story we're all to be living in. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, when he was thinking about the gospel and, and what it says, he, he said that his conclusion was that the gospel is not just one more story which points to an underlying reality, but that the gospel is the underlying reality to which all stories point. Jesus is king. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, all of human history. And Jesus is the story, the one story. And if you're thinking, okay, all right, Jonathan, thank you. I understand some of these things a lot better now. That's, that's good. But how does this change how I live? And when I'm at my desk at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. And part of the answer I want to see is that uh, N.T. Wright New Testament theologian talking about this. He says this, that God's future is arriving in the present, in the person and work of Jesus. And you can practice right now the habits of life which will find their goal in that coming future. He's not just interested in the new creation and being in heaven and all the things in, in the future. He's 
very interested in the new creation present, who you are right now, how you're bringing forward the kingdom right now. See, when Matthew announces the kingdom and the king, we're a part of that kingdom if we're with King Jesus and we're his ambassador. We represent him wherever we go. We should reflect on how we would act and encounter the things we do in our daily life as King Jesus would. Dallas Willard, uh, professor and Christian thinker, he said these things before he passed. Um, he was talking about this idea of being a professor. And he says, living in the kingdom says it involves doing everything as if Jesus were doing it. He said as a professor, he would ask, how would Jesus deal with students and colleagues? How would he discern a course and why? How would he compose a test, administer it? How would he grade it? This is walking in the way of the kingdom, the way of the king. How you do your actual everyday work matters to God and is part of your worshiping the king. And if you're a student, that's your work. Do that unto the king. So then let's look at, that's the kingdom piece, then the fulfillment piece. Matthew shows he's looking to fulfill a work and it starts started with Jesus to be a blessing to all nations and you and I are meant to be in that story. Think about the fact that God can work through deeply broken people like you and me and Judah and David and has saved us for incredible purposes and he desires to do this, to be a blessing, to bring other people into the kingdom of God. And that's nothing that we've done. I've always loved how Tim Keller talks about this idea. He says that if Jesus says to you, if I've come to save you, not to show you how to save yourself, but to save you by sheer grace, then you'll always know the joy of acceptance. You'll always be fueled with grateful joy for what I've already done for you. You won't always be worrying about whether you're really living a good enough life, and you won't be able to look down on anybody because it's just a gift. You can know all that if you understand you're saved by grace. And I think with the story piece, I want to ask, where are you in God's story? There's these people. They're in God's story, his family. Where are you in God's story? Are you in his family? Maybe that's your response today. Maybe you've been in church for a really long time, but you've never said, I'm, I'm gonna be with King Jesus. I'm gonna be in the family of God. I'm gonna make that decision. And you can, wherever you are, be in God's story, just like these people. Part of God's story. You can just say, Jesus, you died for my sins. You rose again to give me new life, and I wanna follow you with all of me starting today can make that your response to be in God's story for the first time. I also think of this season where family can be on our heart, especially those that are far from God. And maybe there's someone in your family that you just, heavy on your heart. Maybe the call for you is to just be praying for them. You can even do that during our response time. These, these lighting stations up here have always been about prayer. Prayer for the light of Christ to shine in their life. And I know this season does that for a lot of people. But the biggest 
thing we can do to start our response to remember every week is what Jesus has done. So I invite you to take out communion. Because scripture tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, he said. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that you are working in and through human history. That you didn't just make us, forget us, and let us go. That you love us. That you came to rescue us. Invite us to be a part of your story. God, I pray for all the people that are here right now that don't know you. That they would make that choice. That they would jump into your story. God, I pray for all the people that have been on my, my blessed list that don't know you. Pray that they would. God, we're just thankful for the ways that you're working in our life. And God, we especially uh, just thank you for the ways that we don't notice or don't see give you praise and honor. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.